Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Go ahead, open to Ephesians 1. We're going to have all the scriptures behind me on the screen. If you're taking notes today, the title of my message, very simply, is this. Who do you think you are? Now, we can ask that question sternly, or we could ask it very nicely. And let me ask it nicely. Who do y'all think you are? Who do y'all think you are? We're gonna look at this today. So let's bow our heads and let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, today we thank you for your spirit who lives within us. We thank you for your word that is before us. And we pray today, God, that you would speak loudly and clearly. Can we just lift our hands to heaven right now? Lord, we lift our hands as a sign of surrender to you this morning. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for all my friends here. Come on, let's stretch those hands as high as you can, like you're plugging into heaven. God, we, we stretch our hands to you. We ask for you to do for us Lord, we can't, what we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, we pray for wisdom and revelation from on high. And I pray today that, Lord, you would set us free, that you would take us from one degree of glory to the next. I pray today that, that lives would be transformed or through the preaching of the word of God and by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we ask for help today. God, help, help us understand clearly who we are in Christ. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your, your presence with us this day. And we pray all of these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit. And everyone said... Amen. Y'all can do better than that. Come on, everybody said, amen. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump into Ephesians, beginning in verse one of chapter one. We're going to start from the top. And y'all know we're just going verse by verse through this book. And I I love the fact that we're doing this because, well, this isn't the main reason I'm doing it, but it really makes it nice because when you go verse by verse, well, you always know what's coming next, right? And so I don't have to go like get a word. All I have to do as your pastor is go to the Word, and then I go to the kitchen, which is my study, and I study, and I I, I prepare a meal for y'all from the Word, and I'm going to serve it today. Come on, Cajuns, y'all ready to eat? (laughs) Y'all ready to eat? So I'm I'm going to just give you the Word of God, and uh, the Word of God is what you need. You don't need mine, you need the Word. So I'm going to do my best uh, to to serve y'all, to be uh, a good servant to y'all with and through the Word of God. So with that said, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, let's just start At the top, here's what Paul says to the Ephesians and to all of the churches this letter was delivered to. He says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you, and say it with me, and grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every what? Spiritual blessing, where? In the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be what? Holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of whose? His glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, as mentioned in weeks past, here in this greeting and then into the actual uh, verses that follow, in particular, uh, verse three, Paul begins to praise God for the blessings in his life and in the lives of everyone who would read this document who were in Christ. And as I said in weeks past, here, Paul is, is praising God for his goodness. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. And so in in this opening, Paul, well, he's just giving credit where credit is due. And how many of y'all know we should do the same thing? We should give credit where credit is due. And listen, if you're here today and you considered yourself blessed, thank God you are. But, But who did that in your life? Where did the blessing come from? 
from, from above, maybe you received it below, didn't you? Maybe it was through a person or whatever, but ultimately that blessing came from God and oftentimes the blessings of God come through people. But how many of y'all would say you're blessed today? Like you know it, you're fully aware that you're blessed. And I'm talking about, let's start, let's start at the material world. Uh, here's some of the things we should be thankful for today. Number one, that we're alive. Come on y'all, we're alive. That we have breath in our lungs, a beat, in our chest. Come on, y'all, we have one another. Look around at your brothers and sisters today. Y'all should be more excited about your brothers and sisters. Okay, yeah, I know. We, come on, we got one another. We do have comfortable seats to sit in. How, how, how many of y'all, you got, a, you got a home to go to, you got an apartment to go to, you got transportation. You, you, if, listen, if you live in this community, you are blessed. Even the poorest person in here, you're blessed if you compare yourself to someone in, in another place. Come on, how many of y'all know we're all blessed? We are blessed materially, okay? Not everybody is, uh, makes the same amount of money, but we are all blessed in so many ways. And we thank God for the earthly blessings, don't we? Don't we? We should not take that for granted. But in this passage, Paul praises God because God has blessed them, Paul and his audience, in Christ. He chose them. Come on, chosen. Y'all are the chosen. You know that? If you're a believer, he chose you in Christ. He predestined them. He predestined us for adoption through Christ, and Paul is like just letting loose out of the gate, making sure they and God knows that Paul is super aware that the blessing came from God. All of it came from God. But, but here, he makes sure that we know that the true blessing does not come from below. The true blessing in your life comes from above. The blessing is found ultimately where? In heavenly what? In heavenly places. Listen, as the saints of God who are in relationship with Jesus, you have an inheritance in heaven waiting on you. Okay. And if you don't get that much in this life, I promise you in the next life, you get God forever. You get every blessing that God has to offer and is yours forever. They don't come and go. They're yours forever in Christ. Jesus. So, so Paul's just breaking out in praise and he's just making sure that he gives credit where credit is due. Okay, all that to say, look at verse seven. Here's where we're going to spend our time in this theme here in verse seven. Here's what Paul says. He goes on to say, in him, everybody say in him. In him, we have what? Say it again. We have what? Redemption through his, Jesus, through his, what? His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and it's according to the riches of his, what's it say? According to the riches of God's grace. Wow, what a statement. In just one verse. Y'all know I could preach this verse for the next four weeks. Okay? Okay, well, don't lead me not into temptation. Okay? But, but let's unpack this today, okay? And I'm going to make this super practical for, for you, okay? So, so here, Paul in Ephesians 1, he makes several things very clear for us. First of all, he tells us where we are. Okay, just a question. Where are you today, right now? It's not a trick question. Just say it out loud. Right now, where are you? Are you sure? Okay. Where do you live? Hold on, before you answer, I'm going to ask it again. Everybody say where you live all at once. So where do y'all live? Come on, that was weak. Everybody say it out loud. Where do you live? One more time, because some of y'all are just staring at me like I'm crazy. Maybe I am, but just answer it. Where do you live? Okay, now one more thing. Everybody at once, what's your zip code? <laughs> Sound like we're speaking in tongues, huh? Okay, we all know where we live. We all know our zip code and all that's fine. Thank God we have one. But, but for Paul, your address, my address, the Ephesians address is in Christ. Okay. In relationship with him. And listen, if you are united with him in relationship, nothing in this life can pry you out of the grip of his grace. Nothing in this world from earth can take that relationship and that blessing because nothing on earth gave you that blessing. That blessing came from God through Jesus Christ into your life. 
And so come on, and this is just an easy way to say it. Paul uses this, you know, this preposition in all throughout the opening chapter, you're in Christ. Everybody say it with me. We are what? In Christ, in relationship with him. That's where, watch this, we live. You see that? That's where we have true life. So here, Paul tells us where we are. Where are we? We're in Christ. If you're, if you're a believer, you're in him. But Paul goes on to tell us what we have. What do we have according to verse seven? He says very clearly, in him, we, we have, starts with an R, redemption. So it's not just, yeah, it's amazing that you're in him, but what do you actually have in him? You have, I have, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We in Christ are totally forgiven. We are totally redeemed. And Paul tells us how we have it. We have it through the blood of Jesus. And finally, Paul lets us know, he reminds us that all of this that we have is according to the riches of his what? His grace, his unmerited favor, which means there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's not, not enough good works that you can do that God's like, okay, you've done enough. Now I'll give you these things. No, before you were born, before you've done anything good or bad, the Bible says God chose you in him before the foundation of the world just because he loves you. So just get over it. Like stop trying to find a reason. Just accept the fact that in Christ you are, you are greatly loved, greater than I can begin to articulate. Do y'all receive the love of God? Even, even in your struggle, even in your pain, even in what you're going through, one of the greatest things that will carry you and even break you out of sinful patterns and mindsets and identity issues is simply receiving this truth that we are loved by God. You're loved by him and he knows the worst about you. Now, some people are like, of course he does. <laughs> but don't think that. God loved us while we were still sinners. He sent his son when we were at our worst. God gave us his best, Jesus. And it's all according to the riches of his, say it one more time, his grace, y'all. And so here's what I wanna focus on. Paul tells the Ephesians that they have, and by extension, we have redemption through the blood of of Jesus. Now, that's a big church word, isn't it? It's a big Bible word, redemption. Uh, you've all probably used it at some point. Um, as believers, well, we, we just talked about it, right? We are redeemed. But maybe you've used it in another context, uh, outside of church, outside of the things of God. Maybe, maybe you've used it uh, maybe at work. After you made a mistake, you said, I redeem myself. And uh, we know what we mean when we say things like that. Or you can say to somebody else, you redeemed yourself. Or you can say about a football team. That team, my favorite team, they were blowing it, but they won, they redeemed themselves. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever use it like that? So, so there's that word redemption. It's not biblical, but we, we use it and we understand what we're saying when we do. But let, let me help y'all. According to the Bible, you cannot redeem yourself. You need somebody else to do that for you. And listen, I can't redeem you. No leader can redeem you. God help us all if you're looking to, to, to pastors and leaders to redeem you. We can help you, but there's only one who can truly redeem you. And I'm gonna say early, you already know the answer. His name is Jesus. God does that through Jesus. So let me talk about what this means. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The word redemption comes from the Greek term apolutrosis. Can y'all say that? Apolutrosis. Say it again. Apolutrosis. Y'all just spoke in tongues again. Y'all like that? Apolutrosis. And the word redeem means this. If you're taking notes, it means this. To buy back a captive. Notice the language. To buy back a captive. Or it can mean the release of a captive from slavery. That is when a certain uh, price has been paid, when a payment has been issued. So let me say it again. Redeem means to buy what? To buy back or the release of a what? Of a captive from slavery. That's what the word 
means. Now we use it in our own way today, but let's, let's, let's stick with the biblical definition here that I've given. Now the, the clearest picture of redemption, I believe besides the cross in the entire Old Testament, let's go there. The clearest picture I believe is found in the book of Exodus. Raise your hand if you've read the book of Exodus. If you haven't, no harm, no foul. Um, if all of you raised your hand and y'all know the story well, then I guess it would be a little superfluous for me to share it again. But listen, let me see your hands. If you, if you read Exodus, I'm fired up that a lot of y'all haven't. So can I teach y'all? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna, you know I'm going to do it anyway, right? That's just to make you feel like you have a say, right? <laughs> Let's look at this. The clearest picture is found in the book of Exodus. And y'all know the story, at least many of y'all do, do. Those of you who don't, look, here, here's the picture. The people of Israel were enslaved under this ungodly king, they called him Pharaoh. Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And the people of Israel were in bondage to this king, to this Pharaoh, and in, the, uh, in bondage to the systems of his kingdom. And they were enlisted into forced labor. They were slaves for hundreds of years. And so generation after generation, that's all they knew was to be in bondage. But here's what I want y'all to see. The Israelites were slaves in a system. Slaves to a system. Let me say it a different way. They were enslaved because they were subjugated. They were enslaved underneath a higher power. And this goes without saying, that's why they were slaves. They could not free themselves because something, someone stronger than them held them what? Captive. Okay, pretty simple, right? But I want you to get this. The people of God were enslaved to a higher power. Notice the way I've carefully said this. Not to the highest power, but to a higher power than themselves. And that higher power was Pharaoh. That higher power was the system over them in Egypt. And so there was nothing, notice this, there was nothing they could do as a nation to free themselves. They needed a higher than the higher power to free them. They needed what, well, this is what we share in common. What we all need, we need the highest power. His name is Jesus. We need God to do for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. Are y'all tracking? So let's get to the story here. That's what they needed. And that's exactly what they got. They got the power of the highest power, not just over Egypt, but over all the world. Yahweh Elohim, the only true God. He moved, he acted, he redeemed them and brought them out of slavery. What a story, huh? Now, I, I want you to listen to how this unfolds. Most of you know this, but those of you who don't, God raised up a deliverer in Exodus and his name was Moses. But here's what I want you to get. I know you know this, but let me just say it anyway. Moses was not the highest power. Moses was just a person that God used for a time and then said, next. How many of y'all know God doesn't need us? Some of y'all need to get that revelation today. God loves you, but God doesn't have to have you or need you to do what he wants to do. God could just act and get it all done himself. And how many of y'all know that'd be a lot easier? <laughs> but isn't it amazing that God chooses to involve us in his plan? But we have to remember that we're not the power. We're just the people who proclaim the power of the cross and of Jesus Christ. We're not the power. We just proclaim the power. And the moment that you think you're the power is the moment you're going to be in big trouble. The right pride comes before the fall. So we got to make sure we understand who he is and who we are. But, but, but nonetheless, God raised up Moses. And Moses had this, uh, this very uh, acute awareness that he wasn't the point, that he didn't have the goods. We see in the story of Exodus, this man is insecure. He's worried about his speech and all that. But I love what God says to Moses and by extension to us. I will be with you. Hey, send me anywhere. God, as long though as you are with me, I'll go anywhere and I'll attempt anything if you are with me. How about y'all? If God's with me, hell 
can stand against you, but if God is with you, we can charge hell with squirt guns and overcome it by Jesus' power. Are y'all with me? It's not our little feeble attempts that do anything. It's God in us, God working through us that sets the captives free. Can I get a better amen from y'all today? Listen, this is a picture. This is a picture uh, of, of redemption. This, this, this picture of God acting and God moving. And so here we see in Exodus 6, verses 6 through 9, well, God speaking to Moses and God telling Moses to go tell the people. Here's, where, here's what it says. Let's just read it. Exodus 6, beginning in verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, notice the language, this is, this is wild. I am the Lord and I, everybody say I. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will what? Deliver you from slavery to them. And what? Who? I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Verse seven, say it with me. I will take you to be my people. And there it is again. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I and the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse eight, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Here it comes again. And what's it say? I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Verse nine, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. Moses said all this, but... Look at what it says. They did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Some of y'all can resonate with that. Some of y'all have been in bondage for so long. You've been coming to church, but you, you've been coming to church for so long in, in, in bondage. You've heard people preach and, and like you're here today and I'm glad you're here, but maybe a life of slavery to sin and to addiction and to other things, that's all you know. And maybe because of that, you're like tuning me out right now. Like you're seeing my lips move, you're hearing words come out, but it's not landing, it's not resonating because it hasn't been your experience just yet. Listen, here's what I would say to you. Keep coming to church. Keep listening to the word of God because God's word will not return void in your life. When you believe the word and you learn to not live by how you feel, but on the basis of what his word says, knowing who Jesus is and what he's done, you will experience freedom. You just will. And I'm gonna argue that because of Jesus, we are freed from the penalty of sin and we are freed from the power of sin, but, but it takes some time to work that out. How many of y'all know you got saved and you, you're freed, but you still had some things in your Christian life that you had to be freed from? So y'all know there are all kinds of things in Egypt, in the world, they're trying to latch onto you to make you slaves to that stuff. The world works overtime to get you dissatisfied with what you have so that you'll buy more of what it offers. And I'm not saying that's always bad to buy new things. We have to get new things because our, uh, our new things eventually become old things. We need new things, right? But what I'm saying is a, it's a slavery mindset that, that we have to have certain things. And we have to have more, 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 and more. That can be a stronghold in your life. It can be something just in your mind, a, a stranglehold or a stronghold of lust or perversion or whatever. There are blood-bought, born-again believers who are struggling in their heads with anxiety. But, but, but watch this. If that's you, you're, you've been freed by the, by the blood of the lamb from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. But sometimes the outworking of that takes some time as you get a renewed mind, as you learn who you are in him, then you discover what you have through him. And then little by little, functionally, you become practically the freed children of the living God. And then you're able to testify to people around you who are struggling to say, I was where you are right now, but Jesus' blood and his righteousness set me free. And how many of y'all know we need the Jesus in heaven by the right hand of God, but we also need his body here in the earth. We need one another, don't we? We need Jesus in one another to help us all get freer and freer and freer as we go along. How many of y'all know he who the sun sets free will be free indeed? Come on, how many of y'all are free today? How many of y'all are free today? If you're not, thank you for coming. Hey, I'll tell you this. I mean, there's always something to get freed from. Almost always, I should say. I shared this with the first service. Um, back in the day, back in high school, 
I'm not, I'm not in no way proud of this, but I drank a lot of alcohol. I mean, a bunch. Into college, a bunch. And I had a lot of friends who smoked a lot of marijuana. As I often say, they were all on plant-based diets. <laughs> and uh, I was around it all the time. I did some of that. I wasn't a heavy drug user, but I was, I was into that world. And it was such a dark place. You don't have to raise your hand on this. Some of y'all have been there. Maybe some of you are there now. It was such a dark place. And I, and I remember when I, when I met Jesus and Jesus set me free. And I, immediately when I believed the gospel, let me say it this way, in that season, I left that lifestyle of debauchery and nastiness. I left it. And all I can say is that God gave me new taste buds. He changed my heart. I didn't free myself. I got a revelation of the one who frees and he freed me. But, it, but there was a change in my mind. Does that make sense? I, I had a, a new mind. I had a new identity. I, I identified no longer as a drunk sinner, but as a blood-bought saint. And because I identified that way, that was, I, I get, this is who I am. I'm going to argue this more in detail in about two hours when we get to the end. I'm not going to hold y'all captive that long. I'm just teasing. But when I realized who I was, practically that fleshed out in my life. So I began to live in light of who God said that I am. Does that make sense? So when I say freedom, we're freedom, freedom, woo, we can go crazy about that. But, but the reality is, Oftentimes, though this is true, we get freed of one thing. There are things that remain. And all the church said, Amen. and you're in this process called sanctification where little by little, you're becoming freer step by step. And so this day, you could back up a dump truck's worth of weed and dump it in my lawn. And I, there's no temptation in me to go get drunk or to smoke dope. Okay, there's just not by the mercy and grace of God. But how many of y'all know, if you dump that in my yard, I'm gonna be sleeping at somebody else's house until you get that out of my yard. Because I'm not even gonna go back to be tempted. I don't even wanna, I don't even wanna go there. Listen, some of y'all are falling back into sin. Let's get away from drugs just in general because you think you can handle being in that environment. Listen, God hasn't called you to be strong in an environment of sin. He gives you the power to avoid that sin, to leave that sin. He's called you to be strong outside of that, not in it. So if you're in sin, you're living in sin, man, flee, run, get out of there and don't go back. Don't go to those situations. Don't think you can handle it because you probably can't. That is, you can get so close. Man, I said earlier, just a few minutes ago, I'm not tempted. I'm not, as we say, but I don't even want to go there. I, I, I don't want my mind to be changed. I don't want to be tempted at all. Does that make sense? So we're freed, but, but we're still working this out. We're still, aren't are we? Can we be honest? Let, let's, let's do that. And, and so in this story, I, 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 it's not I, Moses. It's, it's I, God, I, God, I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I, 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 not you, 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 not me, me, me. It's God's work that sets us free. Because watch this, you can, you can practice um, behavior modification, but still be a slave to sin in your heart. You modify your behavior, but God changes the heart. And see, here's the scary thing. You can be in church, but not truly be in Christ. Does that make sense? And by the way, I'm glad you're here. Even if you're not a true believer, you're just kicking the tires, trying to figure out all this. Thank you for coming. The people who've been around a long time who heard it all, we can be in the church, but, but sadly not truly in relationship with Christ. But how many of y'all know, if you're truly in relationship with Christ, you, will, you should be in the church on a regular basis. And you're just like, yeah, pastor, you're preaching to the choir, as the old Baptist used to say, y'all are here, right? He who the Son sets free can be free indeed. And I'm not just talking about the big stuff that we identify as big stuff. I'm talking about strangleholds and strongholds of what we call smaller things. God wants us to experience that freedom. In the story here, we see that time and time again, Moses told Pharaoh, let the people go. But we know in the story, 
Pharaoh did not listen. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I mean, that's a frustrating ministry. God tells Moses to go tell Pharaoh, but he said, I'm going to harden his heart so he doesn't, he doesn't uh, listen to what you're saying. That's like God telling me, hey, go preach to Midtown, but I'm going to harden their hearts so when you preach, they all just stare at you and leave mad at you. <laughs> Seriously. Some of you are like, well, that's exactly what's happening. No, no, that's not what <laughs> That has happened. <laughs> but th think about the futility of that if you're Moses. I'm like, come on, God. God hardened their, uh, Pharaoh's heart. And then we're told that he hardened his heart, his own heart. So you got this blend of hardening going on. How many of y'all know it's all about the heart? It's all about the heart. Well, eventually we see in the story that because Pharaoh said no to Moses and ultimately no to God, God unleashed plagues, not the devil, but God unleashed plagues against Egypt and the Egyptians. And for example, um, the water uh, that turned to blood Plague one. How about this? The frogs, the plague of frogs all throughout the land. Gnats, flies, the plague of the death of the livestock, the plague of boils, the plague of hell, locusts, and darkness being the ninth one. I mean, think about these plagues one after another coming against you. Just when you think you've had a bad day, I mean, this is a bad day. This is a bad season. But there was one final plague. What was that? Who remembers the final plague? The death of the... Now, let me, let me teach you something that's going to blow your mind. And you might not like it. And maybe at first you're like, ah, oh, that's hard to swallow. I understand. But it's in scripture. So let me talk about it and then we'll wrestle through it emotionally maybe later. In Exodus 4, and I didn't have it in my notes, but I think it's in my head. Or Exodus 4, 22 and 23. Y'all can fact check me. God said to Pharaoh, if you don't let my firstborn go... I will strike down yours, okay? Meaning, God saw Israel as a nation as his firstborn son. They were his treasured possession. Pharaoh, if you don't let my firstborn go, I'm gonna strike down yours. Now, this is not God being vindictive. This is God dealing with a very unrighteous pagan, Yahweh-hating man. And God is commanding him, if you don't let mine go, I'm going to strike down yours. And if y'all have read the story, well, that's what happened because Pharaoh refused to let the people of Israel go. That's the bad news if you're an Egyptian. But in virtually every story of judgment, this is good for us. There's also a message of mercy and salvation for those who believe. Listen to what essentially God said to, this was through Moses and Aaron. Here's what the Bible says in Exodus 12, verses three through six. Are y'all with me? We're doing good on time. Watch this. Tell all the congregation of Egypt, right? What's it say? Is it up there? Of who? Yeah, yeah. Just we'll see if you're with me. So let's do it again. Tell, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their, uh, to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse five. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse seven. Then they shall take some of the blood. Oh, this is where it really gets good. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted, on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs 
and its inner parts. And you shall, let me put my glasses on because I'm going to miss some of this. Whoa, that looks amazing. Okay. Uh, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall what? In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Sounds like they're getting ready to go somewhere, doesn't it? And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's what? Passover. Verse 12. Here, here's, here's, what I want, here's what I want you to see. God says, for I will what? Pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the who? I'm the Lord. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I, and when I what? See the blood. I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now that's heavy, isn't it? What's God saying? I'm going to pass through Egypt in judgment. I'm going to do exactly what I said I'm going to do. I'm going to strike down the Pharaoh's firstborn, the firstborn throughout the land. I'm going to do that. I'm going to pass through. But the message of mercy for Israel, for all who obeyed was, though I pass through in judgment, I'm going to pass over my people in mercy. Y'all see what's happening? Now, let's get our heads in this story. If you lived at this time, word got out, Yahweh Elohim, the true God, the highest power is about to pass through and strike down firstborn. He's going to judge. But then, well, you heard the bad news, but then you heard the good news. That for the people of God who trust in the one true God, when they obey him, when they have faith in his remedy, think about this, you're in the story. Oh, but there's a way out. There's a way out of the judgment. And not just that, there's a way out of the slavery. God, by his mercy, says to us today, all of us who believe in Jesus, he passes over us in mercy, not through in judgment, because we have been saved, we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Come on, give him better praise than that. This is a picture of redemption. God says, when I see the blood. Now in this story in Exodus, there's nothing magical about the blood. The blood was a sign that the people believed God. The blood was a sign that they trusted him. And then God, he didn't, it's not like he needed more information. It's just a way of speaking. When I see the blood, you can say it this way. When I see the faith, when I see the obedience, that marks the people of God. And those who are marked by the blood, those who identify with Jesus' blood, we are the marked, we are the chosen, we are the predestined, we are the adopted, we are the redeemed children of the living God. Come on, y'all. I believe today God sees the blood, meaning our faith in Christ. And he passes over in mercy. Because without, without the blood, we'd all be judged. Someone said, Pastor God, I've been doing all these bad things. I just feel guilty. I said, that's because you are. <laughs> you are. As a Christian, you're living in sin and you feel guilty? You should. You feel shame? You should. One man said that, um, guilt and shame are to the soul what pain is to the body. It tells us something's wrong. It's true. Now listen, don't zone me out. Look right here. Look right here. You should, I should feel the conviction of God. I should feel, I, if I have broken his law, I'm guilty. But how many of y'all are thankful that God has provided a sacrificial lamb for our sin. And I don't care what you've done, how many times you've done it, when you go to the cross, 
and you apply the blood to your life, when you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, he is faithful and he's just to remove your sin, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You're not just cleansed at the beginning of your Christian life. Come on, y'all, there's a fountain that's open for us every day of our lives. And when you go to the cross, you confess your sins. Watch what happens. He removes the guilt. He removes the shame. He reminds you of who you are in him. You are the forgiven, chosen, adopted, redeemed children of the living God. And if you leave still feeling guilty, that's a false guilt, a pseudo guilt. After you've repented, if you still feel that, how many of y'all know that's exactly what the devil wants you to feel? Is forever guilty because once you lose that long enough, you eventually quit. Well, I just feel guilty all the time. Why even go to church? Why even go? I just feel guilty. Listen, it's because perhaps you don't believe in the efficacy and the power of the blood. When God says you're forgiven, the God of all creation has spoken. There's no higher power, no higher authority than him. And if he says you're free, folks, you're free. Come on, y'all, I'm burning calories and preaching good to y'all. You're free from the penalty and the power. And this is all afforded to us in Christ. Outside of Christ, you're on your own. And you can never atone for your own sin. What happens is we go to hell in wrath and payment. There are never satisfied. But for those of us who live in Christ, come on, we get a touch of heaven now. We are in him free. We are in him blessed. We are in him redeemed because blood has been shed, satisfaction has been made, and our job is to believe in that remedy. And in believing, we're changed. Can I get a better one? That's the story. The Exodus is a powerful story. Let's skip forward over a thousand years later in what we call the New Testament, in the New Testament, the New Testament, in the, in the Gospel of John, a man named John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The way we would translate that in light of what all of our, everything I've just said is, the Exodus story is amazing. It's a story of redemption and freedom. But John the Baptist is identifying the one who can truly take away our sin. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. There is no one like Jesus. Y'all know the story. Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived in perfect submission to the Father's will. He cast out demons. He walked on the water. He set the captives free. He opened blind eyes. He unstopped deaf ears. And all that was amazing. But Jesus went and willingly became a slave to, well, the Jews and the Romans, the Jewish leaders, that is, and the Roman authorities. And what did they do? brought charges against him, though he had done no wrong. Like a sheep led to the slaughter, his mouth was silent. How many of y'all know Jesus could have said a lot of things to those who oppressed him and who held him captive? But he knew the only way for you to be free is by him becoming a slave and ultimately being nailed to that Roman cross where his blood was shed for us. How many of y'all are thankful that Jesus became a slave? That he died in our place. He became a slave so that we could become free. See the irony there? In the New Testament, and, and he could have called at once 12 legion of angels to destroy the world and set himself free. But for love, he went to the cross. And during that time, the 
the Jewish people, they were busy selecting their Passover lambs. But how many of y'all know God had already chosen the true Passover lamb and his name was Jesus. And so Jesus died for, let's make it personal, you and all of your sin. And in doing so, Jesus inaugurated a new exodus. You see, the Old Testament story of the exodus is about people leaving Egypt. The New Testament exodus initiated by Jesus, the Passover lamb, is about breaking you free from the law of sin and death. You see that? And so therefore, we, we who believe this are no longer slaves to sin. We are the blood-bought children of the living God. Jesus frees us from the back-breaking, soul-destroying bondage of sin. He frees us from the penalty and the power. Nobody can do that for you, only Jesus. When he died, he redeemed a people for himself. He purchased us, didn't he? He paid a price with his life, didn't he? Earlier I said, you can't redeem yourself. You need somebody else to do that. You have someone who did that. In conclusion, Ephesians 1 verse 7. <laughs> I told you, lead me not into temptation. In him we have what? Redemption through. Does that make sense now? Freedom. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So according to Paul, we are, what's your address? You're in Christ. What do you have in him? You have what? Redemption, the forgiveness of your, what? Your trespasses. We have it through Jesus' blood and we have it all according to what? The riches of his grace. Isn't that powerful? Let me ask you all a question as we begin to wrap up here. Who do you think you are? Do you know the answer? Because knowing who you are in him and what you have through him, that is Jesus, will influence how you live before him. Does that make sense? And to state it further, beliefs drive our behaviors. They really do. What you believe drives how you behave. It dictates often how you behave. What you think, how you identify, has a huge say in how you practically live in this world. If you really believe that in Christ, you are redeemed. If you really believe that in him, you are forgiven. If, you, if we really believe that we are the holy, predestined, chosen saints of the living God, those truths renew our minds. They have identity-forming power in our heads, in our thought processes, so that little by little, over the course of time, the more we meditate on these truths, the more we believe these truths, we become the people that God says we already are. So if you're struggling, don't think you're disqualified. Just identify with the rest of us that we're all works in progress. And by the blood of the lamb, little by little, we will all one day be completely freed from this world when Jesus comes back and gives us brand new bodies and perfects us. But till then, it's a fight. Until then, the saints who are in Christ better be in church and around one another so we can encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that we can spur one another on. Come on, man, keep running.
You blew it. Get back up in Christ, not in your strength, but in His. You feel broken? I've been there. If you don't feel at home in this world any longer, as C.S. Lewis points out, that's just confirmation in your soul you're made for another world. It just is. Think about that for a minute. If you're struggling in your head, in your life, it could be because you don't really know who you are. It could be because you don't really believe that you are who God says you are. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Notice the language, lavished. He didn't do these things and give these things sparingly, but lavishly. Like, the riches of my grace, here they are. Free. Every good thing I have to give. He lavished and will continue to lavish upon us these blessings and all wisdom and insight. And he says this in verse nine, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things where? The word mystery, mysterion. Today, if I say the word mystery, what do you think? When I say it's a mystery, what does that mean? You scratch your head, you don't know. For Paul, this word means it's something that was previously veiled obscure, but now has been made known. So Paul's not writing this so we're all confused. He's writing this to the Ephesians and to believers, whoever would read this, so that we get crystal clarity that, that this some of these big truths, they were obscured in ages past. Ah, 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 but now in Christ, light bulb, Passover lamb, how many of y'all know it wasn't really in the Old Testament, it wasn't really God's ultimate purpose, ultimate to lead Israel out of Egypt. Like that was a purpose in time. But, but if we connect all the dots here, and I'm, I'm helping do this for you. When you connect all the dots, you see that God's ultimate purpose was not in the Exodus in the Old Testament. His ultimate purpose was to provide a picture there, which would point to his ultimate purpose, which is fulfilled in the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. So now we look at the story of the cross and we're like, oh, all along, God has been painting this beautiful picture of redemption on the tapestry of sinful humanity so that he gets all the glory, so that he gets all the praise and we benefit from it forever. Yes, go ahead and clap because it's so good. It's so good. The story of the Exodus is a picture of his purpose that was ultimately set forth in Christ, the Passover lamb who died at just the right time to set us free from the law of sin and death. And all things in heaven and on earth unite together in him. In him. What's y'all's address? In hell. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? The blood-bought, redeemed saints of the living God.